I'm Katie Brejean McGrady, and this is Ave Explores. A couple of years ago, there was a hashtag that was going semi-viral on Twitter and Instagram. Hashtag Brevery Views. It was started by a seminarian at TC, Theological College at the Catholic University of America, seminarian John Guzman, who's actually now Deacon John Guzman, who will be ordained next year. And he started it because he just wanted to show people that priests, seminarians, religious sisters, lay people, were praying the liturgy of the hours, the breviary. And that's a, a series of prayers that take place at certain hours of the day that make use of the Psalms specifically, as well as other parts of sacred scripture that allow people to pray in unity with one another. The priest in Lake Charles, Louisiana, who prayed his breviary this morning, is praying the same prayers on the same cycle as Pope Francis in Rome, as a priest in Antarctica, if they're a priest in Antarctica, I don't entirely know, as a priest in Ireland, as a priest in Africa, as a religious sister in Tyler, Texas, as me, a mom who woke up this morning and has been praying the Liturgy of the Hours since this conversation I was blessed to have with my dear friend, Sister Josephine Garrett. We've had Sister Josephine on the show before to talk about lots of other things, and I always, I am so impressed with her wisdom and her insights on the most complex of issues as well as the simplest of things. You know, her, her vocation story is one that is both captivating and beautiful, as well as incredibly simple and straightforward. And she has shared so beautifully in today's conversation about why the Liturgy of the Hours, which is praying with the Psalms in a very specific way, is so fruitful, is so life-changing, is so important in the life and the rhythms of religious communities, of priests, of, of a family even. You know, I think a lot of times with sacred scripture, we think of it in terms of Old Testament versus New Testament, as opposed to Old Testament informing New Testament and New Testament fulfilling Old Testament. And the Liturgy of the Hours beautifully weaves together the canticles from Old Testaments and New Testaments, the prayers of the Psalms that Jesus himself would have known and prayed, that Mary herself would have recited, that we begin to participate in this greater prayer and Sure, the Liturgy of the Hours, the breviary is its own thing, but it's its own thing because of the Bible. And Sister Josephine Garrett breaks that down for us in context of a religious sister who prays the Psalms, challenging all of us to become people who pray the Psalms, using Scripture, living Scripture, loving Scripture in an entirely new way. This conversation, of course, is part of our entire Avi Explores the Bible series, I think you'd love all the stuff that we're creating. You've got plenty of time to still click on over to AveMariaPress.com and sign up for our weekly emails. You'll find the Facebook Live conversations. You'll find other podcasts, social media exclusives, articles, lots of things there to help you love sacred scripture. You can, of course, also buy the Ave Catholic note-taking Bible using the code AEXBIBLE for 20% off and free shipping. I think you'd love using that Bible to really dig into prayer. There's lots of side margin space for you to take notes and to doodle, to underline, to really dig into how this scripture is changing your life at this particular moment. But for now, I want you to sit back and enjoy this conversation with Sister Josephine Garrett about praying with the Psalms and how that can change our understanding of sacred scripture. Well, Sister Josephine, thanks for joining us on Ave Explores. Thank you, Katie. It's always good to see you, talk to you. Any way I can see you or talk to you is a good day. <laughs> always a good day. And we're real friends now. We have each other's cell phone number, which is anytime I can add a nun to my phone, I'm like, I've made it. Like I'm allowed <laughs> to know 
I can contact this sister. And that's what we did for this. I, I reached out almost frantically and was like, I need a nun to talk about Liturgy of the Hours. So tell us a little bit about who you are and the religious order that you're in. So I'm Sister Josephine Garrett, and I'm in Sisters of the Holy Family of Nazareth. And I wish I tell the sisters we're too good at the hidden aspect of our uh, charism because <laughs> not a lot of people know who we are. Like, I think we need to like dial that back a little bit. But uh, we were founded by Blessed Frances Shedliska, so she's blessed in the church, was beatified in 1989. And she founded us in Rome, but she's a Polish woman. And so she was Polish, and but wanted to found in Rome because of her love for the church. Mm. And so she had a huge devotion to the Trinity and wanted to bring the love in the Trinity into the world however she could. And she realized that that was through a family spirit. So she founded the sisters to have a family spirit among ourselves and to serve a family spirit in the world. So we call it like spread the kingdom of God's love. So we're all over. We're in 12 countries. There's 1,100 of us, over 200 of us in the United States. And I'm in Tyler, Texas. So <laughs> Tyler, Texas, which is not far from where I am. And you have a, a really unique job. You have a job. Like okay. within the charism of the sisters, you all have jobs. And what is yours? So I'm a counselor. So half my time I spent at a Catholic grade school, which is pure joy, uh, <laughs> doing a guidance counseling curriculum for them, small groups. And then the other half of my time, I'm in a private practice where I see kids and teens and adults. So I'm a licensed counselor, which if you would have asked me 10 years ago, Katie, if I was going to be a counselor, I would have laughed or a nun for that matter. <laughs> nun, counselor, right. Because you were in the business world. Tell us a, a little bit about your vocation story and how you discovered I mean, you, you didn't grow up Catholic. You went to the University of Dallas. I'm going to claim you forever for that. Yeah. How did you discover the sisters and realize this is what I'm called to? A friend invited me. So I had a spiritual director. I had been Catholic about four years and was kind of like a Sunday Catholic at a frequent flyer at confession. Sunday <laughs> 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 Catholic, right? And so I just, I took a trip back to Rome as a Catholic and kind of had like a second conversion in the sense that like, I want, I want to do this like with more love. Like I want to make a greater responsive love. And so I got a spiritual director and he helped me to learn to pray and becoming a sister came up in that prayer very shockingly <laughs> to me. So I you know, was talking with him about it, super scared. And then a new friend I had made, she invited me to visit a convent with her. I hadn't told her what was going on in my prayer. It was pretty random. And she was asking me to kind of be like her wingman. Like she was going for it, come and see. She's like, we come and be so I'm not alone. And I ended up being her maid of honor in her wedding. And that's how I met my sisters, was going there for that come and see. And so I just continued to get to know the sisters for two years. I went and visited and built relationships. And then after two years, I became like a formal candidate, like a a live-in affiliate. So I'm always curious by the discernment into religious life. We hear about the discernment to the priesthood. And it's usually, oh, yeah, well, there was a really good priest in my life because priests are kind of everywhere. Like even in like a vocations crisis, you see priests a lot. But in the Diocese of Lake Charles, I grew up knowing two sisters. Mm. They didn't wear habits. It wasn't until just the past five or six years that we had some RSMs come to our community. And watching my daughter learn about religious life just by being around these nuns, she calls all sisters Jesus mommies. She is obsessed with all the different outfits that all different sort of sisters wear. Anytime she meets a sister her first question is, well, what do they get to do? Because she knows that there's different charisms. Yeah. Pull back the veil a little bit for us, no pun intended, if you can, about the community aspect of religious life. Because we see sisters out in the world or in parishes or communities. But I mean, y'all are legitimately like sisters to us in the church, but then sisters to each other 
What mm-hmm. does religious life look like in the, and I'm going to use the formal term convent, but in your homes, I mean, in your yeah. community? Yeah. I tease the sisters and I say, I am the official like whistleblower for, like, to like just demolish all of the stereotypes about what interactions are like in our home. Like, you know, just as in family life, like the stuff of sanctification in your family life is the stuff that you probably wouldn't post on, you know, we probably wouldn't be posting. And we have that in the convent too. You know, we have house meetings. I was joking with someone the other night. It's like sometimes these house meetings are like WWF, you know, because we have conflict, right? (laughs) We have disagreements and we have to figure out how to treat one another like sisters Mm -hmm. in the midst of this. But it becomes for me, so yeah, a day in the life of a convent is really a lot like family life. Mm -hmm. But we get up early and we pray together and we have mass together every day. And we share the work in the home like a family would. So we organize our chores and things like that. We take care of our cars, we clean our house. Um, But then we make sure to pray again in the evening. And one thing in convents that I wish families would have more and more is we actually have structured recreation. So we have times throughout the week where we make sure that we're like choosing leisure together in common, which can be really enriching, I think, for the life together. But um, it's full of like ordinary opportunities to grow in holiness, just like family life. Mm -hmm. And I tell people, I'm certain at my particular judgment that God and I, Jesus and I will talk about ministry and, you know, how I serve the church. But I think that the bulk of that conversation is going to be how I loved in common life, like when no one was looking. Yeah. And so... That's how I would describe it. It's ordinary life, but probably infused with more prayer. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, infused with more prayer. So I love that, especially that, like you said, that intentional recreation. Like on a weekend, Tommy and I have tried, we're not always really good about it to be just like, we're not just going to throw on a movie and take care of chores. Like we're going to go do this fun thing, even if it's yeah. just going to the park for half an hour because it's too hot to really be there much longer than that. But like to put our phones away, to pour into the girls with time. Yeah. You mentioned prayer. And one of the things I've always known about religious life and priesthood, of course, is that y'all take, obviously you take vows, but part of those those vows and those commitments are to pray specifically the Liturgy of the Hours. Can you tell us a little bit about the way that the Liturgy of the Hours is structured and what it looks like and, and how it's rooted in Scripture specifically? So the Liturgy of the Hours is intended to be prayed in common. It's called the prayer of the church. And so what I love about it, it is because it's the prayer of the church, we're truly all on the same page. And so we're we're on the same day, we're on the same week, we're on the same psalms. And so the way it's structured, it is intended to be prayed in common and for you to have like two choirs where there's an exchange of sides. So it creates like a dialogue of prayer. The structure is typically you have three psalms. After the psalms, you have a reading, a responsory, in the morning, we pray the Canticle of Zechariah. In the evening, it's got the Magnificat. Then intercessions, you pray for the church. And then conclude always with a prayer to the Father. So the prayer is always to the Father in His Son and in His Spirit. So I was kind of, when I noticed that, it fascinated me. We always close with a prayer to the Father. So like I'm a, an, an active, an apostolic religious order. So we're typically bound to morning prayer and evening prayer, mm-hmm. maybe night. But if you're in a monastic order, you're bound to the day. Mm -hmm. So you can pray, you know, morning, midday, afternoon, I'm missing up my names, evening (laughs) and night, as well as sometimes rising at three in the morning. Mm. So 
it depends on what type of community life, religious life you're living, on how much of the whole liturgy of the hours you're bound to. But most, like the pillars, the main ones are going to be that morning and evening prayer. Why? Can I ask why? I mean, is it just, like you said, everybody wants to be on the same page? It's the church just wants to make sure that there's actual prayer? Is there like, was there somebody that one day said, you know what? We don't pray scripture enough, so we're going to make everybody do it. And this is not me saying, like, I think it's silly. Like, I love it and kind of wish there was, like, something that married people were bound to pray in order to ensure, you know, that we're actually doing that. Yeah, here's the answer that comes to mind for me. And I've sat in a class before and heard, like, all the history of Liturgy of the Hours. (laughs) But it's all escaping me right now, probably by the power of the Holy Spirit escaping me. (laughs) But I say what, what else otherwise is impressed on my mind. So a religious is only a religious by prayer. Mm. And so someone taught me this once that through the consecration, we are no longer a private intercessor, but we're a public intercessor. So our prayer has like an effect on the entire body. Mm. And so you may have, so the, the, I hate to use this word. Um, I know it will be misunderstood. You maybe have to have a whole other episode to unpack it. (laughs) But the highest expression of religious life is the papal cloister. Mm. Okay. And so that is a life of entirely prayer. Mm -hmm. All other forms of religious life flow out of that. But prayer remains the foundation. Mm. And it's like the foundational offering that this consecrated life brings to the church is the prayer. And so to have a prayer that's made for us is like a sign of our primary role as public intercessors in the church. Mm. And so our prayer, I think there was a quote I heard once that said, stabilities of civilizations have rested on the prayers of cloistered nuns. Yeah. Yeah. And so that's how I would answer that question. Yeah. I had a student once, so she joined a monastic community in Nebraska. She was Mm -hmm. there for five years. And so she entered the year that I got engaged Mm -hmm. and then got married and then, of course, had a child. Mm -hmm. I didn't see her again until the fall of 2019. I bumped into her in an airport and she had since left the community and she was actually flying home for the first time. So I didn't recognize her. Her hair was very short. All of her earthly possessions were in the carry-on bag and we bump into each other. And so we start visiting and she pulls out this notebook from her backpack and she showed me all of the people that she'd been praying for over the years. like that. And my name was there. And then, of course, her mom had told her she got married. So then Tommy's name was there. And then, oh, and she had a daughter. And Rose's name was there. And I just, in the E-satellite terminal in DFW, started weeping yeah. because Julia had been praying for us for five years. And like I never knew. But I also kind of felt like I did know. Yeah. But that prayer that you all are praying every day is rooted in Scripture. How has that changed your relationship with scripture growing up protestant with scripture as a huge part of it becoming catholic where maybe the bible's not the thing that we always talk about but should be and then what we do have this anchor of religious life which is making the world go round how has that changed you in terms of scripture sister i mean in terms of scripture these psalms now they're like songs in my head yeah like if i hear one line they start flowing out of me and so in that sense i feel like we are again like returning because when psalms were written they were songs Mm. and people would especially you have the psalms that were written for the temple right right so when you have a psalm and you see it's there's a a stanza that's a repetition over and over those were in the temple 
And it was more like a choral experience of the song. Mm. And that repetition over and over was how the congregation would respond. And so they've become like that in me. If someone says one line, like all the other lines will start to flow out of me. So it's been a way just for me to experience the word of God in a different way, like with a different part of my mind and a different part of my heart. But I will tell you that it was actually hearing out loud scripture prayed in common for some reason, particularly with women's voices, Mm -hmm. was my number one attraction to religious life. Really? And I couldn't understand it. Like, because we would start our discernment weekends on a Saturday, but we wouldn't pray with the sisters until Sunday morning, like Mm -hmm. in the chapel formally. And I would long for Sunday morning on discernment weekends. And it was so weird to me because we were, you know, some communities, the discernment weekends are so turned up that you go home and you need a vacation. And so at that time in our community, they were so turned. Like you would think like all this turntness would be what it was about. But I would just be waiting to get into that chapel and hear scripture yeah. prayed out loud in a choral sense. It resonated all the way through me. Wow. All the way through me. Very powerful. And there was something about it being women's voices in common. Mm-hmm. That struck me. And I'm not, you know, trying to be a feminist or whatever, although Catholic feminism is awesome. But <laughs> we have to do so many clarification podcasts here and I'm fine with it. It just means we get to hang out more. <laughs> but there was just something about it being women's voices that was particularly powerful for me. Yeah. You know? I love that we had somebody on the podcast talk about, I think later on in the season, it's the Alex from Hallow talk about how scripture was meant to be heard. I mean, yes, like obviously reading is such a a valid thing and we live in a literate world now, but in the earliest days, it was the oral tradition that was being passed down. Genesis wasn't written for centuries. It was just known Mm. and spoken aloud, the story of creation, the story of Abraham. So you're right, like hearing it. I love to pray Liturgy of the Hours when I'm with other people. I struggle on my own because it's, I mean, it's a great form of prayer, but as a busy mom, like my kids can't say it back to me. Maybe we should start trying with Rose now that she's learning to read, but (laughs) I don't know how we can barely get through a decade of the rosary before the wiggles start between the both of them. That voice element though is really striking. How do you think scripture in general, I mean, we've been asking this of all of our guests and you're an expert, I would say, scripture should be part of our prayer life, even if it's not the liturgy of the hours. Do you have a recommendation on making scripture more part of one's day-to-day expression of faith or family life or you know, trying to live that domestic church, or even if a person's discerning religious life and wants to try to make scripture more of an anchor, what, what's your recommendation? My recommendation is just to begin, like we get so many resources that make it possible to just begin with the daily readings. Like our church gives us that. And it's like, I think it's become scandalously ordinary, but this is a treasure that we have that same page too. The same page to where I can go anywhere and see what the word is for the church today. And so when you're talking about like the importance of word being spoken out loud, I think we're getting in touch with the word become flesh, Mm. right? In an incarnational experience of scripture, which is the word of God. Mm -hmm. So it's an encounter with Jesus. And so I just would ask people to not find it too ordinary just to make sure to enter into the gospel every day. Yeah. And that's a quick read. And then just to let whatever stands out to you in that gospel, to let it stay with you, to let it stay with you. So if it's two or three words, spend your day kind of looking around for 
why those two or three words maybe have stood out to me mm-hmm. and let that, you know, open up in you and unfold in you. I think sometimes that sounds like such an ordinary solution, but it cannot be because it is the word of God. Yeah. <laughs> so it, mm-hmm. That's great advice. And the Holy Spirit's guided this entire podcast season because every single person has said something very similar, which I think is just proving the point that, well, that's what you have to do. Mm-hmm. But the answers on this next question have been so wide ranging. And I've, I think it's almost a personality test to ask this question. So I'm going to ask the first one. Do you have a favorite part of sacred scripture, a favorite book in scripture that you repeatedly go to? You can't say the Psalms because that's what we were talking about. No, I can't say so. so I tell people this. It's an awful thing. I think if I were living at that time, I would have tried to date St. Paul. <laughs> Can I name the podcast episode that Sister Josephine wants to date Paul? <laughs> so like his writings, they just like over and over blow my mind. And I would have been trying to date him. Uh, <laughs> Is there a specific letter of Paul that you love? No, I don't have a favorite letter. I don't have a favorite letter, but behind, above, of like one above others, the first one maybe comes to my mind is Romans, maybe, mm. but I, I can't say that safely. But then behind St. Paul would be the letter to the Hebrews. So the letters really are my favorite. Because <laughs> of his style, because of the content? Is there, I mean, what what is it that stirs your heart? I think it's his style. I think there's something I would say kind of provocative about Paul in the sense that he will call you out. Mm. You can see like he's passionate. He will call you out. And that resonates with my personality. Mm. Uh, Just this kind of gut punch approach to scripture that doesn't, isn't pull punches. I think Paul didn't really pull punches. So that's why he resonates with me. I love it. That's the first person that said Paul. We've had everything from uh, an Old Testament book and a New Testament book, different people, you know, digging through the Gospels. And that's the next question. So in the Gospels, and everybody yeah. reads the Gospels differently, the Chosen, I think the Chosen series has totally changed the way some people read the Gospels. Do you have a favorite moment in the Gospels specifically? Because that's our encouragement throughout this whole season has been that's often a good place to start is reading. I've been suggesting Luke and then Acts because you get the whole story. But is there a moment in the Gospels that you really, really love that stands out to you? The two that come to my mind immediately when you ask the question are the, and maybe because these are what are present right now, but are the woman at the well. And then actually this past Sunday's gospel was my gospel at my final battles. And so the woman at the well, something about that one, I think it strikes me because we live in a world where like when we have a really wonderful experience. I think a lot of us struggle to want to like tuck it away and protect it. So nobody else takes a share of it, right? Like we want to hold it all. And she has this wonderful experience and like immediately tries to multiply it. And like with the image of a well being there, like it's, it's a concrete resource for life. Mm. But her assumption, you know, she's, I know she's bringing people to Jesus, but with that well being there, she's got this stance that there will be enough. You know, she brings the crowds of people. And so I just find myself going back often to that gospel. And then this last Sunday was what I chose for my final vows. You know, the Lord, whom shall we go? <laughs> like, where else can we go? Mm-hmm. That story stays with me because for some reason I encounter Jesus in like a really deeply in his humanity in that, that gospel scene because it comes to the surface that they weren't really following him. Mm. So as soon as it became hard, this teaching is hard, many depart from him, which means they were really following something else. Mm. Like it wasn't about a relationship with Jesus. So anytime I read that gospel 
or hear it. My heart breaks for Jesus. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I love that too. Like a lot of people read scripture and we think of how it affects us, but being part of praying with scripture and the Pauline imagination, the Ignatian imagination, excuse me, sorry, Ignatius, is to, well, what would Jesus have responded? How would he have felt in this moment? Yeah. To know him, to love him so that we can follow him. This is what St. Ignatius says. So we enter these scriptures to know Jesus. Who is this person who I'm supposed to have the most significant relationship with in my mm-hmm. life? This is scripture. Scripture, yes, we want to intellectually understand the historical context, but that historical context only informs like a deeper encounter of the person of Jesus. Mm-hmm. Um, so we enter into these scriptures to know Jesus so that we can fall in love with this person we've come to know and then follow him in that spirit. Not in the spirit of an intellect, you know, oh, I I know something now. Like I know a piece of knowledge that's attractive to me. No, it's a per like I know a person. I'm in love with this person. So I follow. And it changes everything. And it changes everything. And that's we find a person in scripture. Mm. We find a person. So oh man, we could we could keep going, sister. Where where can we follow you? Where can we read your writings and learn more about your awesome work and about the sisters, the hidden sisters that are are changing the world and we need to know more about them? Where can we follow the sisters? <laughs> My overly hidden sisters. Uh, so our website is nazarethcsfn.org. That's our United States website. Our international website is nazarethfamily.org. So then you can learn about the community all over the world. And then I'm on Twitter. It's sjosephine underscore csfm. You know, I never remember my Twitter handle. (laughs) I have to put it in the show notes for you, sister. Thank you so much for taking the time and joining us. It's always a delight to get to see you. You too. You too. I always love getting to chat with Sister Josephine. And not just because she's a dear friend and we've got to spend lots of time together off the air, but because I think she offers an incredibly real insight into what a life that is completely given to Christ not only looks like, but how each one of us can be transformed and changed in much the same way. You can tell when a person has steeped themselves in sacred scripture, when they've been changed by the words that become a mantra, almost like a song stuck in your head. And I think this podcast, I mean, it did. When we recorded it, it inspired me to start praying the Liturgy of the Hours just with the single volume Christian prayer book, listening to those words as I wake up in the morning and allowing them to wash over me, allowing them to be an anchor as I make decisions throughout my day, as I take care of things for work, as I prepare food for my family, as I get the kids ready for school and daycare, as I do all those things that are so necessary, scripture becomes the water, essentially, that my boat of life can kind of can sail on. Or maybe it's the current the water current, I guess, is a better analogy. I think your Sister Josephine really snapshotted that for us in a beautiful way. And so if nothing else, hopefully this has inspired and challenged you to want to read the Psalms a little bit more, to pray the liturgy hours yourself, to allow that part of the Bible to become an anchor within your life. You can, of course, follow Sister Josephine, like she mentioned, on social media. We've got the links to her social media accounts down in the show notes. And I'd love it if you'd go on over to AveMariaPress.com, sign up for all our emails, the podcast, the Facebook Lives, the articles, the social media exclusives, all of it just for you to really dig into this topic of Ave Explores the Bible. We'd also be grateful if you'd share this podcast, give it a rating and a review, post it everywhere, tell your friends, tell your family, hey, I love the Bible and I'm loving it even more because of this series. We'd be grateful for you sharing it. We'll be back next week to dig into 
If we talk about the Old Testament this week, you've guessed it. Next week, we're talking about the New Testament. We're trying to figure out how and why scripture in the New Testament, it's so important. It's so valuable. It changes our lives in so many different ways and is a fulfillment of the Old Testament. So stick around for those conversations next week. As always, we're so grateful that you hung out with us this week and listened. We'll see you soon. This show is a production of the Spoke Street Media Podcast Network. For more great podcasts, visit SpokeStreet.com.